Can you guys hear me okay? Well, I feel genuinely joyful to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I uh, live in uh, Temecula, which is close to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta. And um, so it's about an hour and a half north of San Diego. And I mean to tell you that upstate New York is a pinch cooler than San Diego. Uh, yesterday, after sharing at the men's conference, uh, Pastor Ray surprised my mom and I and said, hey, would you like to go see Niagara Falls? And I just did not expect that at all. So we drove up there. I just got back from China, so I'm jet lagged. I slept most of the way. But uh, we got up there and the cold wind blowing. And I mean to tell you, I thought it was a, like a scene from the Griswolds at the Grand Canyon. You know, <laughs> Take one peek at that thing and bam, I'm gone. So um, it's, but we're happy to be here with you guys. Um, I'm really excited about today. I, I really love the life that God has called me to. Um, and perhaps my favorite part of the multifaceted uh, work and life that God has called me to is this, uh, sharing with born-again believers here in the West. Uh, I come with a secret agenda. I never uh, reveal this to pastors until after I'm up at the lectern and it's too late for them to pull the plug. <laughs> But uh, my secret agenda is to radicalize Christians. And what I mean by that, that sounds uh, sort of scary, is um, that, uh, you know, we always think radicalize, like radicalize Muslims, people that are blowing things up and whatnot. Uh, and that's because that's the logical extension of their religion. If you take uh, Islam to its logical extension, you get to Wahhabism. But for us as born-again believers, if you radicalize a Christian, what that looks like is Mother Teresa or Corey Ten Boom, or Brother Andrew, or George Mueller, all these radical, beautiful lives. And so um, God has done that in my life, and now I am trying to export that to as many people as I can. Well, before we get started today, you'll notice uh, probably when you came in, there's a table in the back. And that's just an opportunity. If anybody is interested, you can uh, connect with our ministry in, one, in some way. There's four major ways that you can connect with our work. The first way is and this is probably the most popular, is you can sponsor one of the orphans in our care. And so we have uh, little sweethearts, uh, in orphans in Ethiopia. Uh, this is Berkidi. And then the, uh, the or Ethiopian orphans are the ones that have the brown border. The ones that have the red border are orphans at Harmony House in China, 45 minutes southeast of Beijing in the city of Longfang. And so all of these uh, are, of our Chinese kids are looking for forever families. And so when we take these kids in, you know, they've been abandoned uh, by their parents in China, a lot of times because they're born with special needs. Um, and then what we do is we step into the shoes of their missing parents and, and become Jesus to them to transform their lives. So if you're interested, you can pick out your little sweetheart and that you become their prayer family. And if you do that, um, then we ask you to take one of these dolls. They're not for sale. They're our gift to you. Uh, these dolls are handmade uh, by deaf Christians in South China in the city of Kunming. And each one of them is in a different costume for the different people groups. This particular doll is the Manchu people group with the Q. There's not many of them left in the world. Uh, that, that is a people group that will shortly die out completely. Uh, but you can also pick out, we have dolls from, handmade in Ethiopia at Addis Ababa. I even noticed this morning when they packed it, they put in a Jesus doll. And uh, it's kind of a neat one because he's black. And, uh, and so we had that handmade at our uh, work in uh, Ethiopia. So it's no surprise that, um, that from their culture perspective, he looks black. But anyway, so you can pick that out. And, and if you do, you'll get uh, uh, updates on your child twice a year. 
And then uh, sometimes we've even had it that people who sponsor a child end up adopting the child. I myself have adopted two uh, children from China, uh, both special needs. My uh, daughter Orly was left abandoned in the Tianjin train station when she was a baby. Uh, she was left in the men's bathroom because she was uh, born with spina bifida and because she's female. And so if any of you guys are Stephen Curtis Chapman fans, you can get his All Things New CD and you'll see song number five is called What Now? The first half of the song is written about her and the song is dedicated to her. And so that's kind of a neat story. Um, another thing that uh, you can do if you want to connect with our ministry is consider joining us on an overseas mission adventure. The next trip that's coming up is November 5th through the 16th, 11 days in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, just an exotic, radical part of the world where 95% of the population are Buddhist. And so right in the heart of the 1040 window in that situation, uh, we are planting, uh, we are lighting a candle, and then another one, and then another one. And so um, we still have some slots. That trip is filling up fast, but we'd love to have you guys join us. Uh, if anybody is interested, the cost of the trip is 1500 plus airfare. A third way is perhaps you're interested in adopting, or maybe you know somebody who's interested in adopting. And if you are, then I would love to talk to you about that. I can give you my business card. We've had over 130 families uh, adopt from us uh, all over the U.S. and all over the world, really. Our kids have gone to Canada, Europe. Uh, they have gone to Chinese families and other places. And so um, I'd love to talk to you about all of those things. Or if you just want to talk to me about the spiritual principles we're going to talk about today and how those intersect with what's going on in your life, then I believe the Lord has sent me here as a divine appointment, and uh, I want to take some time to meet with you, uh, to talk to you, and pray with you. Well, um, I uh, come here today to do a few things. Number one, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, my testimony. I uh, tell people that I have been twice rescued in my life. The first time I was rescued is when I became born again, and the second time was when God called me out of uh, the American dream lifestyle that I was in and called me to uh, uh, the life that I'm living now. And so um, when I tell people, I, I remember I was in Chicago sharing at uh, some churches um, a couple years ago and I just had some time to kill. I, it was like I was sharing on Sunday and so I had some time Saturday and I love cars, you know, and so I'm walking around a car dealership a lot looking at them. Not because I'm going to buy a car in Chicago. I live in, you know, San Diego area, but um, but that's just my personality. And so the gal was talking to me. I said, listen, don't waste any time on me. I'm just killing time here. And she said, well, what are you doing up in Chicago? I said, well, I'm, I'm sharing at some churches. Oh, really? Well, what are you sharing about? And I said, well, I've got kind of a radical testimony. And so I get invited uh, to share at different places. And she said, I know what it is. She said, you used to be addicted to drugs and alcohol, right? And uh, I just laughed about that because that's an assumption when you tell people that God has radically rescued you in your life. There, that is kind of a normal assumption, and uh, what I always say is that um, that is a testimony, it's just not my testimony. Uh, my testimony is that uh, I grew up in a good family, uh, even a little bit uh, above middle class, uh, good parents, um, and as best I can tell, I've been a Republican since I was seven years old. <laughs> and so uh, mine is not a hardship story. Uh, no, actually, um, I grew up in a good family, and my folks taught me, son, if you want to be successful in life, uh, here's how you do it. You've got to make a plan for your life. And then you work diligently every day towards the realization of that plan until you have conquered it. And, 
And I bought into that when I was a young person. I was not a rebellious teenager. When I was in high school and my friends were smoking marijuana and doing all these kinds of things, I wasn't doing any of that. I was trying to get people to vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and I was a member of the Young Republicans and Junior Rotary Club. And so if you guys are old enough to remember that series from the 80s, Family Ties, yep. there was a bloke on there named Alex Keaton. Yep. Well, that was me. And so uh, uh, I really... Um, bought into that and I worked hard and it worked. Uh, I went to UCLA on a scholarship, ROTC scholarship. When I graduated, I was commissioned a lieutenant in the Army. Uh, went off to the Gulf War right away, so Ray and I are both war veterans. And, um, and then after, law, after that, I, uh, my four years, I owed the government uh, for paying for my scholarship. I went to law school at Regent University, which is the home of the American Center for Law and Justice. You guys know that. Uh, Jay Sekulow fighting for Christian, uh, our Christian heritage, constitutional uh, First Amendment rights and things like that. So, um, but you know, I, it worked in my uh, life. By my early 30s, I'm a lawyer working for one of the top law firms in Washington State. In fact, it was the top law firm in Vancouver. And I just tell people that, you know, I had a, a good life. You know, I, um, I had a brand new beautiful home in the suburbs of Vancouver. And I drove a sports car to work every morning and my wardrobe was largely Nordstrom's because I was working for a fancy firm. You guys have Nordstrom's in New York? And so um, if, if clients came in to meet me at the firm, my and I would ask them, well, listen, before we get started, would you like to, uh, can I get you a cup of coffee? And if they said yes, then I'd have to ask them what kind they wanted because my firm served three different varieties of Starbucks. You could choose which one you wanted. And I tell people that my life was kind of like a 7-Up that you open up the cap and keep it on the counter for four hours because it was sweet, but it was flat. <laughs> and one of the influences on my life uh, was my brother Wes. And I remember at that time, you know, just being a successful uh, young lawyer and uh, just doing that whole thing. And then here comes Wes coming to visit me in Vancouver, and he's telling me stories how he just got out of the sewers of Moscow because that's where the orphans went in the winter to stay warm. And sharing stories about how he just came out of a Russian women's prison and shared the love of Christ with these female inmates in some godforsaken patch of real estate in Siberia or someplace, and how a 23-year-old girl came and wept on his shoulder because somebody came to that place with a message of hope. And I could not help but draw a comparison between my life and his. Uh, I had achieved the American dream, but he had uh, achieved abundant life in Christ. And I just remember thinking, God, that's what I want. You only get one life to live. And if you only have one life to live, you can do the whole American dream thing. But what I really desire, if I can have one gift, is that you would give me a passionate, beautiful, dangerous, adventurous life full of love that really changed the world. And I remember my mom said to me at that time, kind of knowing some of these things I was wrestling with, son, why can't you be satisfied? You're, you're working for one of the top you know, firms in and she was proud of me because her son's working for one of the best law firms in Washington State. And, and I just, um, I, so I prayed about it because I knew the Word of God teaches that um, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I just prayed, God, you know, just help me to be, I guess you called my brother to a radical life, you've called me to uh, an ordinary life, so help me to be content with the life that you've called me to.
And I very joyfully report to you that God heard that prayer and did just the opposite of what I asked. Uh, instead of granting me contentment in my life, what he did was stirred up the nest, calling me out of the practice of law and sending me to China as a missionary. Now, in order to really explain what that was like, you have to step with me into the time machine, going back around uh, the year between 2000 and 2001 time frame is when all this was sort of going down. And I don't speak Mandarin. In fact, the only word in Mandarin I spoke when I went to China is Gambei. That was the only word I knew. And whenever I speak at normal churches like this, uh, everybody just sits quietly when I say that. Well, my last speaking engagement was two weeks ago in uh, St. Louis Chinese Baptist. And whenever I say that at a Chinese church, which I speak at frequently, the audience always bursts into laughter because the word Gambei means cheers in Mandarin. That was the only word I knew. So I'm going to go to China as a missionary, and you know, some Chinese bloke is going to be telling me how his life is messed up and, and hurting, and you know, he really thinks Buddha is the answer. And I'm going to say, Gambei. <laughs> I mean, just how can that work? And further complicating matters was the fact that I don't have any support, like zero. Uh, I had no church sending me. I didn't have a single person or family signed up to give me $20 a month and had four kids in tow. And so um, I, I've never been to Bible college. I'm trained as a lawyer. So what am I going to do when I get to China? Help Chinese people file bankruptcy? You know? <laughs> And so some of the people that were in my circle of life at that time began to speak into my life, and many of these were Christians. And sort of the conventional wisdom, the wisdom of the multitude was, John, are you nuts? I mean, bro, what are you thinking? Your family could die over there in communist China. And a Christian man has a duty to take care of his family. And, you know, these things can happen, and you are being irresponsible. And some people literally sort of thinking I was emotionally unhinged. And I remember um, at that time, you know, like these words coming at me and saying, went to the Lord in my quiet time and saying, God, you hear the words that these people are saying, many of, of which are your people, but what do you say? And the Lord took me in my quiet time to the place in the scripture where Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But John, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And I just, you know, I don't mean to be boastful. I honestly don't, but I, I actually speak English fluently. And if uh, something must be found, it means that it is either lost, or at the very least it is not readily apparent. And so it is with all of us, that God has got a life built for us, and the problem is that most of us are going about it the wrong way. Well, how do I know this? Because that's what I was doing. I was a Christian, a very serious Christian, plugged into a church, active member. But when I became born again, I didn't know any better. And so all I did is I cleaned up my you know, life. You know, not that it had to be cleaned up that much as a young Republican and all this, but nonetheless, I had some cleaning up I had to do. <laughs> but... Um, I, I, you know, I cleaned up my life, you get involved in church, you become an active member, attend Bible studies, and then don't really know, so let me just get on with the American dream. 
And I, I describe that model of life as like uh, the American dream model, which exists for most Americans culturally with just a Christian overlay. That is an option that's available to all of us. And, and don't get me wrong, you can go to heaven with that option. It's just, um, I think it's analogous to the story of the Israelites in Egypt. The Israelites in Egypt were God's people, uh, and they were living in Egypt, but they didn't belong in Egypt, right? Uh, their home, their intended home, was a place called the Promised Land. And in order to get to the Promised Land, they had to leave Egypt by faith and go into the desert place. Now, I want to ask you guys a trivia question. And no pastor can answer this. And if you were at the men's thing yesterday, you can't answer this. But uh, for the rest of you, if you know the answer to this, I want you just to speak it out. What is the biblical word, uh, the uh, Greek word that is translated into the New Testament as church? What is that Greek word? Ecclesia. Very good. He even pronounced it correctly. Ecclesia. And that word means? Very good. So, uh, isn't that interesting that the very definition of the word which is translated church technically means the called out ones. And so God has called us out of the world system. And so it was for me. So in, in this circumstance, I, uh, uh, as I said, God called me to go to China and I just recognized that I was faced with a, a crossroads in my life. I could continue down the road, you know, wild-trodden path. The safe bet was to just stick with what I was doing uh, as a, a lawyer, and uh, or I could take the other road. And now, you will forgive me, but I'm going to quote one of my favorite poets, uh, actually my favorite poet, Robert Frost. Uh, his poem says, uh, two roads, it's talking about this, about somebody at a crossroad of decision in life. It's a really beautiful poem. It says, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And long I stood, and I looked down both as far as I could to where they bent in the undergrowth. Then I took the others, just as fair, though having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. Both that morning equally lay, in leaves no steps of trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I shall come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, one day, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And praise the Lord that, you know, when the Lord called me to do that, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Well, my pastor uh, did a exposition as we're going through the uh, book of John. What does that word that is translated into English abundant, what is the idea in the Greek behind that? And, and basically, if you do a study on that, the idea behind that is super added, superior, remarkable, or further beyond. That's what that word technically means. I have come that you might have life and have it super added, superior, uncommon. And I love that about the Lord. We always think of Jesus being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But sometimes we don't think as much that He came also for the stated purpose that your life here on earth would be that. And for a believer, there is no higher thing. 
I, I tell people in all sincerity, um, my life has not been easy at all uh, since God caused this transition. In fact, it's been wrenchingly painful at times, but uh, I would not trade places with anyone in the world. Uh, what God gave me was exactly the way He wired me. I would not rather be a country western singer, uh, although I like those guys. I would not rather be uh, a politician or a wealthy person. Uh, no, uh, I really love the Lord so much for calling me to this life. Well. Wes was not the only influence on my life. Uh, other influences that caused me to make this decision were uh, missionary biographies and biographies of great Christians who had gone before. Corrie ten Boom. How many of you guys have read any books by or about her? How many of you have read Brother Andrew's book, God's Smuggler? Uh, if you haven't read those, ooh, man, bust out of here and order it today. These are dangerous books. Get your kids to read these books. Or how many of you have read George Mueller's biography? Uh, in each case, these are examples of ordinary uh, people, ordinary Christians that had an encounter in their life that caused their life to go from ordinary to extraordinary. And so Corrie ten Boom, her family began hiding Jews during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And they saved a lot of Jewish people's lives. The book is called The Hiding Place until a Dutch collaborator turned their family into the Gestapo and she and some of her family members were carted off to concentration camp where two of them died. Corey herself was slated to be executed until God caused a miracle to happen, a mistake in the paperwork of the Nazi administration, so she was released. And then this little old lady went around the world sharing her experience about how there is no hole that is so dark that Christ, uh, Jesus' love and light does not penetrate, that Christ is victor and had a life that shook the world. And Brother Andrew, another remarkable person, he, he was also a Dutch person a little bit after Corey, but when the, he became born again, uh, shortly after the Iron Curtain fell across Europe, and he, God gave him this opportunity to go behind the Iron Curtain. And I believe his first trip was to Poland, if I can recall the story correctly. And so he wanted to see what the situation was with the Polish evangelical believers and what he discovered was they were under great pressure. That communist authorities uh, made Christianity illegal and pastors were imprisoned and Bibles were illegal and churches were closed and if you were a Christian you were under great social pressure. And so um, as he was reading in his quiet time on that trip, he read a passage of Scripture from the book of Revelation, which he took to be instruction from the Holy Spirit. He read these words, Therefore, strengthen that which remains and is about to die. And he took that to understand God was calling him to help support the suffering church behind the Iron Curtain. And so one of the things he began to do is smuggle Bibles in, hence the name of the book, God's Smuggler. And so what he did at first is every time he'd take a trip, he would just surreptitiously, you know, well, he'd pack like five extra Bibles and then surreptitiously, you know, pass them out to people. But over time, recognizing the magnitude of the need, that was just utterly inadequate. He began to get more and more radicalized. And I mean to tell you, as you penetrate the uh, comfort zone of your life, whatever that is, and really follow the Lord by faith into something that He has deeply called you to. There is no end to how surreal your life will get. Yesterday, uh, when I was with the men, I shared story after story after story about what has happened in my life, how the Lord has showed up, different things He's called me to. 
and they were the tip of the iceberg. And so Brother Andrew, at one point in his life, has gotten you know, radicalized. So he's, he's literally got a, his vehicle uh, in Berlin. He's about to cross through Checkpoint Charlie to the East Berlin. The East German guards are out there with their submachine guns. Every vehicle that comes in is subject to a very intrusive search because the guards are trained. People will smuggle in illegal contraband. Well, when you smuggle in illegal stuff, you don't just stick the heroin under the seat. No, you don't do that. If you're bringing in something illegal, there's a hidden you know, place in the upholstery. There's a secret compartment in the engine. They're trained about this. They know this. So every vehicle that comes in is given this very thorough, intrusive search. And then here comes Brother Andrew, and he's got Bibles stacked to the ceiling in his car all the way back. And right before his turn comes to cross behind the Iron Curtain, he shoots up this bullet prayer to the Lord, and he said, God, you made blind eyes see, and now I pray you'll make seeing eyes blind. <laughs> and out of nowhere, right when his term comes, turn comes, this torrential rainstorm hits, just sheets of rain coming down, so the East German guards, not wanting to be drenched for the balance of their shift, leap back into the guard shack and wave his vehicle in. <laughs> oh, these books. Wow. George Mueller was a British Christian, lived in the 1850s, took care of all these orphans in England back in the days when things were tough. People worked in coal mines, and he never knew where the money was going to come from to take care of these kids, had no idea, but he believed Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 6, why do you worry about the things that you need? Your mortgage, your student loans, your credit card payments, the pay pagans are concerned about those things, and they eagerly chase after them, but you... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. How's it going to happen? It'll just be added. And so he, one story in his book, which is a lifetime of these radical stories of him just living by faith, was uh, he has all these babies in his care. He has no money, uh, no food in the pantry, no milk for the uh, babies. And he just prays, God, this is your ministry, not mine. These are your kids, not mine, and I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to worry about it. And uh, the next day, in front of his compound, the milk wagon broke down. And the driver said, it's all going to spoil, just take it all. And he called that concept milk on the doorstep. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was called manna for today. And, and this is really a model for people who step out to follow God by faith. And so it was for me. God calls me to go to China. I, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't know what I can do. And I have nobody helping me. And only Jesus calling me. And I don't even know what's going to happen when I get there. And I tell people that when you follow the Lord by faith, it's like you're walking in a very thick fog bank. And, um, and all you can see is far enough to take one step. But when you take that step, then you can see far enough to take another step. And so it is, and so it has always been for me. I had lunch with my pastor uh, down in Old Town Temecula, and he was asking me, um, he said, John, how did you start all this work? I mean, how did you do this? Because we have 11 projects in four countries, all in very difficult you know, countries. And I just looked at him like he had two heads, like, bro, I didn't start anything. I don't, I've never known what the heaven I was doing. I just follow the Lord by faith. Step by step, He has led me to all of this, and it never stops.
And one of the new projects next month, I have to go to Vietnam. We've got a brand new project reaching unreached tribal people groups on the Vietnamese-Chinese border on the Vietnamese side. One of them is called the Red Thai, not Thai like Thailand, but T-A-Y people. One of them is the Hmong people, and the third one I can't remember. But I got to go up there and see that, and we're getting started. Unreached tribal groups, ooh, hmm. And so, um, so it has been that you know God calls you. He doesn't issue you a crystal ball when you become a born-again Christian. The Lord t does not do like the military does, and before a major operation gives you the warning order followed by a detailed operations order. No, He calls you to walk by faith step by step. Again, the model is the Israelites leaving Egypt. They leave Egypt, they don't know where they're going to go. So how do you know where to go? Well, the pillar of fire appears, or the cloud. But it doesn't appear every day. No, there's long stretches when it doesn't appear, and you wait. But when it does appear, in the Lord's timing, you move out immediately. And so, uh, Corey Tin Boom was asking her father about this principle, and he said, Corey, before you take the train to Amsterdam, when does Papa give you the train ticket? Two weeks in advance? And she said, no, Papa, you always give me the ticket right before I get in the train. And he said, so it is with God. And so, um, so it was for me. I, I, I went to China not even knowing what I could do, having zero resources. People telling me, including well-known believers, uh, this would not end well. I was being foolish. It doesn't work this way. Bro, you need to read Dave Ramsey's book about planning and you know, this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and I just went and well, you saw on the video what has happened ever since. I, uh, I, I hope that you guys will come back. Whether you financially support Harmony Outreach, go on a trip with us, adopt an orphan or not, I hope that you'll sign up for our newsletter. I hope you'll track our ministry and just be aware of it because I think it'll bless you, but um, if nothing else. But one of the things that we do every Christmas is we do our end-of-the-year fruit report, and it's a summary of our work around the world. And this is what happened in 2017 with little bitty Harmony Outreach, a ministry birthed in weakness, continued in weakness. Uh, I said in here, in 2006, Harmony Outreach began opening our doors to five special needs orphans in China. That's all we did. That's all we had. Uh, since then, our work has grown to 11 projects in four countries, China, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Ethiopia. And what happened was, this is just last year, 78 Muslims turned to faith in Christ in Ethiopia. Eleven orphans were adopted from Harmony House in Longfang, China. Nine sweethearts were rescued from sex trafficking in Cambodia. Now, I know this is so small you can't see it, but if you go back there, you get this. I mean, this little Abigail, she's a tiny tot. Uh, nine. Uh, Twenty-four students came to Jesus through uh, uh, J-Club outreach in Hanoi, Vietnam. Twenty-four. Thirty Muslim background evangelists were trained and deployed by Harmony Outreach. So if you want to reach Muslims, I can't do that very effectively, but we train Muslim background believers and then send them back. And they know the culture, they are familiar with the ways, they know the Quran, and so we deployed 30 of them. Ten Buddhist university students came to Christ through in Cambodia through our Learn to Work Outreach. We built three uh, shelter churches in Ethiopia in remote areas. 31 underground ministry students graduated from our three-year program in Vietnam. Uh, we built a new home for Child Evangelist Chantorn in Cambodia, and 27 orphans were cared for at our uh, five homes, now four in Ethiopia. Well, the one that you, I mentioned there uh, towards the end, 
training underground pastors. That's what I need Pastor Ray to go on. And, you know, when God first called me to that work, I just have no ability to pull that off at all. But if God is going to call me to it, I'll just get out of the way and trust Him. And so we send 30 pastors per year to Vietnam, 20 to Saigon, 10 to Hanoi, to train the underground church, graduating somewhere between 30 to 40 students every year. And these are all ministry candidates. And you guys will be part of that then. When he goes, it's not just him. No, you guys are behind him. We say like missionary works like a spear. The, the actual missionary is just the point of the spear. The whole length of the spear is the church or God's people standing behind them. And so it will be for you guys. Well, it, I, when I went to China, I wasn't qualified for this. I had no training in this. I had no support. Uh, a passage of Scripture I want you guys to remember. It's an important life verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from the Lord. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. And that's it. If you read some of the biographies of some of the most famous and effective missionaries, that will be a common denominator. These people were not, you know, qualified. Uh, a classic example would be Gladys Aylwood. Uh, Hollywood made a movie about her life. Uh, Ingrid Bergman stars as Gladys Aylwood, the British missionary, went to China. She knew God had called her, and she applied to all the missionary societies in England, and they all rejected her because she wasn't, she wasn't uh, qualified. And in fairness, she wasn't. Uh, but so she knew she was called, so she worked as a governess until she earned enough money uh, to buy a one-way ticket on the Trans-Siberian Railway and went to China not even knowing what she would do. And you can, uh, you know, rent the movie or get it. It's called The End of the Six Happinesses. And so um, it's just a common thing. So I went there not knowing what I could do, but the Lord knows. See, that's just it. God, a lot of times, will call His people to do things that don't make any sense. And I always tell people that when the Lord calls you to do something, chances are, if it comes from the Lord and it's a call related to ministry, it will require faith. Faith is uh, defined in Scripture. Martin Luther was the one who rediscovered that faith is the turning point about whether a person is declared righteous before God or not. It's not whether you go to the right church that has good doctrine. It's not all these things that we think it is, being a goody two-shoes or whatever. No, it's, it is the existence or non-existence of faith. Well, as a lawyer, if you tell me it turns on faith, then I want to know the definition of faith, and it defines it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of what is hoped for. It's the certainty of what is not yet seen. In other words, it is the ability to believe God when you can't see it. So God calls you to do something, and it doesn't make sense. And I say it this way. It's like natural man relies on his five natural senses to navigate life. His five senses tell him what can and can't happen, where danger is, where opportunity is, sight, smell, touch, you know. I guess you could even say his brain in a sense. Yeah. But only born-again believers have a sixth sense that's been given to us by the Almighty. Uh, we have a special extra ability, a mutation, if you will. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a nerd. These kind of things will pop out every once in a while. 
But uh, we have a special ability. It is a sixth sense, the sixth sense of faith, only given to born-again believers. It is the ability to see what does not exist and to believe God for it. And God wants us to learn to turn off our five senses and turn on that sixth sense of faith and walk in that. And if you can do that, you could say to this mountain, move over here and it'll move. And there's no end to what your life can accomplish for the Lord if we can learn to live this way. So what happened? Well, I got to China and, uh, you know, I mean, just things went from, you know, unreal to surreal. And, uh, it, you know, it's been a, a nonstop adventure ever since. I love the Chinese character for adventure. You know, Chinese characters are consist of radicals, which they combine together to create new meaning. It's the radical for danger plus the radical for opportunity. Mixed together is the word adventure. And I like that. I think that's pretty good, pretty close summation. Well, I was sharing at a church in um, Fredericksburg, Texas. And uh, my cousin uh, Karen goes to that church. And afterwards, um, she came up to me and she asked me, John, how many orphans have been rescued as a result of your work? Uh, the work God's called you to, and I said, I don't know. I don't just keep a ledger, you know. But she pressed me on this point, and so I had to stop and think about it, all the years and all the different projects we've done, all the ones that got adopted, all the surgeries we've done, and I said, I'd, I'd say we're coming up on a 1,000. And, um, and so praise the Lord, you know. But I wanted to describe to you guys a little bit about what it's like uh, to be an orphan in some of these countries when we work in. In all four of our countries, we have two objectives, two ministry objectives, uh, organizational objectives, which are the first is to spread the knowledge of Jesus, and the second is to help the vulnerable. Those are our two bigs. And so in every country, those two will extrapolate themselves out depending on the conditions and, that we find ourselves in in different ways. So it could be rescuing young girls from trafficking in Cambodia. That's helping the vulnerable. Helping orphans, helping the vulnerable. Poor people or microloans, vulnerable. Training village pastors in Cambodia. They, they become born again, but their education level is like this. They don't know the first thing, so we've got to come in there and teach them. And, and give them the resources and tools so that they can stand on their own two feet and be a good pastor, that is spreading the knowledge of Jesus. Training the underground church in Vietnam, that is spreading the knowledge of Jesus. Training up Muslim background evangelists and deploying them back into Muslim areas, highly effective. Uh, you know, the, if you look at the spread of Christianity in the world, when, by the time Jesus died, he had primarily invested himself in 12 men. And uh, not too long after that, they, these men had turned the world upside down. And um, so what we do is we train these guys and we deploy them in. And in every case, the apostles would go into a foreign co culture. And I travel around the world, so I know. Like Turkey, they know which two apostles came to them. And different, you know, Africa, they know in different parts of the world, they know which one of the apostles came. I hear these stories. And, uh, and so they went in to a situation where there's this pagan religion, a false religion, and Christianity takes root, and what does it do? It displaces the false religion. And why do we think that can't happen with Islam and Muslims today? Oh, it can. We just have to do the same thing that Jesus modeled for us. Deploy these evangelists that are specifically trained, 
back in, and they are coming to the Lord by the drove. And so, um, so that is a little bit about our work. But in the case of helping the vulnerable, if a child is born um, with special needs in the United States, there's all kinds of compassion for them. And if somebody has disabilities, my goodness, you know, Congress passed the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and you get the best, you know, parking spot, you know, at, you know, Walmart and Cracker Barrel, you know. So there's some advantages. No, if you're born with disabilities in the 1040 window, what that means in China is, well, you must have upset your ancestors that your child would be born this way. And so it's almost like the child's cursed. If you're born with disability in uh, Cambodia, which is a Buddhist culture, it means you must have lived an evil life, your past life. Therefore, that is why you've been reincarnated this way. It's your fault, pal. And don't ask me to interrupt your karmic cycle. Uh, you know, you should have done better and gotten your act together. That's why you're born that way. And so, um, but Jesus said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. And so what we do is we take these kids who have everything against them in life. I tell people life, you know, is like a game of cards where all dealt a hand. And then you pick up your hand, what'd you get? Ooh, I got a good one. Man, I'm going to be super handsome. Man, I'm going to be super, you know, like genius level intelligent. Man, I'm going to have these amazing athletic abilities. I'm going to be born in the United States. You know, all of these things, these are good hands. You know, I'm going to be born healthy. What'd you get? Uh, I'm going to be born with disabilities into a developing country where, for cultural reasons, I'll be abandoned by my parents and grow up in a state institution without the love of family. And so United Nations statistics on what happens to orphans globally within two years of emancipation from orphanages all over the world. I'm not talking about one country. Romania, Ukraine, China, wherever. Within two years, they have been swallowed up by the streets, is, is the majority of them. And so it means that um, you, the state takes care of you, but the state cannot love. They can provide three hots and a cot. But when you get out, what are you going to do? Nobody has told you how you can, what you can do next, or to help you, or to identify within you some that, man, you're good at this. Do you realize you have a real gifting in this and develop that? No, they don't have that. And so crime, uh, prostitution, uh, drugs, these are all uh, common things that happen. So what we do is we step into the shoes of their missing parents, and we take their problems and we make them our problems. And we come to their rescue in Jesus' name. And uh, one of my, uh, our ministry slogans at Harmony Outreach is, comfort always, relieve often, save sometimes. Comfort always, relieve often, save sometimes. Comfort always it would be the example of baby Wayne. Uh, right before the Olympics came to Beijing, uh, we had a knock on our door, and it was the Ministry of Civil Affairs saying, you have till the end of the month to close and Harmony House because they d knew the Olympics were coming and Reuters are going to be coming and we do not want them doing special interest pieces about people like you living in China doing this kind of stuff. This is China's big coming out party to show they're a big important country and so that you've got to close by the end of the month. And so I, uh, about a week and a half later I was coming back from Beijing in the evening and was pulling into my compound and there were three squad cars in front of our compound, lights flashing, two of them were vans. 
and I got out and there was about a dozen Chinese officers and I, I thought, okay, here it is, we're getting raided. And uh, so I went over to the lieutenant and started speaking to him and uh, he told me, uh, far from raiding us, the, the police had found this little baby who was born, uh, he still had the birth fluids on his body, uh, but he, his intestines were outside of his body. Uh, that's a medical condition that people have. And so he said, will you take this child? And I said, listen, is this a trap? You know, because the Ministry of Civil Affairs told us we have to close and now you're coming asking if we'll take a new child. And he said, John, uh, we are sorry for the way our government treats you. We know the good work you do. And essentially what he was saying is, we love you. So we took uh, little Wayne into our place and I have a picture on my computer, all his intestines out. And he's just a brand new baby, just born that day. And I called Lily, because it was after hours, our, our uh, Harmony House director, we called driver Jung to come pick him up to get him transported to the hospital. And while we were waiting, the nannies uh, made him a bottle of formula and fed him, and he just gulped it down. He was hungry. Nobody had fed him. And so the policeman took up an offering and gave us 2,000 renminbi, which at that time was about two weeks' worth of wages. And then driver Jung came, and we transported him to the hospital. And the next day I was on my way to Beijing and one of the things on my list was to visit Wayne in the hospital and Lily called me on the cell, my cell phone and said he just died. So Wayne, it was never given to us to save Wayne's life, but it was given to us to comfort him. And he lived one day, but we fed him and we gave him a name and when he died we mourned for him. Uh, Relieve often would be Little Blossom. She was a little sweetheart that she came to us, she was one of the original five, but she was um, emaciated. She wasn't making it in the Chinese orphanage. And so we named her Blossom in faith. And in our care, she did blossom, but it turned out uh, as she got older, she had advanced cerebral palsy, so she can't speak or move. And you cannot relieve that condition with the surgery. And so Blossom would be relieved often. We found a super sweet um, Christian woman in Central California who has adopted her. She's a widow and she just dotes on her and loves that little girl. So Blossom would be relieve often. And then save sometimes would be my daughter Orly, my son Levi, who was severely burned and left to die in a blanket in a cornfield 10 minutes from our house. He was left in burial clothes with a 10 ribbon B note for his passage to the next life. And now he's 16 years old and causing trouble in Southern California. <laughs> uh, and so uh, re comfort always, relieve often, save sometimes. Well, this is a beautiful life. This is better than, you know, helping one bloke, you know, bloke A sue bloke B, you know. And I thank the Lord uh, for this. And um, in closing, uh, I just wanted to tell you um, about one of my all-time heroes of the faith, uh, something that happened with her. Uh, that hero is um, Mother Teresa. And, you know, Mother Teresa is Catholic and I'm an evangelical, so we, would, we could debate doctrine. But one thing that woman had, that little woman, she's about that tall, uh, was she had demonstrated a life of faith and a life of love that literally shook the world. So here she is, a nun from Albania, the most backward, screwed up country in Europe, and she's a nun. That's not exactly a super empowered person. And she went to, you know, Calcutta, India, and at first she's doing the normal thing, and she's in a monastery, uh, is that what they call it, or a nunnery, or convent, uh, that's the word. And um, 
And then God starts to lay on her heart that she needs to leave the manicured gardens and the walls around and go live amongst the poor. And nobody had ever done that. You can't do that. That's not even safe to do. Nobody's ever done that. But she trusted the Lord. She set out by faith. And, and the rest is history. But one of the things in her life that she had a, a, a senator from America came to visit her home for the dying uh, in Calcutta. And before he left, he said to her, he said, Mother, I just have to ask you a question. He said, how is it that you can emotionally handle this work that you do? I mean, all these people ultimately die. It is so difficult. She was frequently slandered in the press and attacked and just a very difficult life. And she said, Senator, God has not called me to be successful. He has only called me to be faithful. And so it is for you that for the short period of your sojournage on the earth, God has not called you to be successful. He has called you to be faithful. Your life is described in Scripture as a vapor that is here for a moment, and then it is gone. And the only thing that will remain from your life is the fruit of your life, what was done for good, what was done for evil, and what was not done. And so that is the stuff that remains. And so I, I, I really... Um, take great inspiration with Mother Teresa. Now, what I'm going to ask you guys to do, because I hope when I share this message, it's really encouraging to you guys. I hope it like inspires you the way that some of these other believers' lives inspired me to, to um, make the decisions I made in my life. Um, I hope that for my life. But I also um, hope that this has been like a time of worship. But these words, some of them may be a little, you know, piercing or whatever, but nonetheless like words of life. And so what I would like to do, um, and I'll be back in the back. There's a table in the back if you want to come meet me or my mom. If you want to get your picture with my famous mom, you can do that. <laughs> listen, people give her so much credit because she's got two sons, you know, that are doing this kind of work. And I just say, listen, this happened in Wes and I's lives despite our mom, not because of our mom, you know. <laughs> If you knew the abuses that I had to endure as a child, you know, I could regale you with tale after tale of sordid tales. Anyway, so you can come back and get your picture with my famous mom uh, or come and become our partner and pick out your little sweetheart and sponsor one of them. Uh, we'd love to have you join us on the battlefield. When you, you know, partner with us in our work, you become part of the team. And we are out there in the 1040 window, kicking behind and taking names for Jesus. But anyways, what I'd like to do now is I want to finish this in worship, this message. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. They're going to play a song that 